0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries, with founder and director Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing.
1: We're here for another story about how grace has changed someone's life, and we call this series Grace Stories. And as my mom used to say, everyone has a story. And I'm sure you have a story, and I think maybe you'll relate to the story that you're going to hear today as well. Um, This is uh, part of our Grace Life Simply by Grace podcast, and of course, all the information for contacting us will be at the end of the podcast. Um, But the story you're going to hear is how uh, Brian uh, came to know the Lord through his spiritual journey and uh, how it changed his life. But uh, it took a while for that to happen, it sounds like. And so we're going to just say uh, welcome to our guest today. His name is uh, Brian Flynn. Welcome, Brian. Well, thank you for the invite. Excited to be here. Well, good to have you here. We're sitting in New Bronzeville, Texas, very beautiful part of the state. Um, and Brian had quite a story. Now, I have, He's got a book out, too, and I wish I had have gotten my hands on that, um, and we'll have you talk about the name of the book and how we might be able to obtain it later. Um, But I think you have some very interesting things to tell us. We're going to have to start back when? When would be a good place to start? What do you do do right now? Tell us a little bit about what
0: you do. I work for an IT company and uh, I'm fortunate enough that I can work from home. Uh, I I fix all sorts of IT stuff, we'll we'll put it that way. (laughs)
1: Oh, it never breaks? <laughs> never breaks, no.
0: Uh, so I've been very fortunate that I work for a really good company. Uh, I lived in Minneapolis and I said to them, you know, I noticed that some employees can work from home. Can I do the same? And they said, sure. And I said, what if it's Texas? And they said, that's fine with us. So my wife and I uh, decided that, you know, of all the places to come, we wanted to come into Texas because, of course, we wanted to be closer to God so that's (laughs) why I chose here.
1: God's country.
0: That and the warmer weather I think was the convincing part. Yeah
1: because you did some time, (laughs) did some time, it sounds like a jail sentence, but I've been to Duluth and Alaska.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It is doing time in cold weather. Yeah uh, I was in the Air Force uh, in Duluth and Alaska but uh, eventually after the Air Force settled in Minneapolis and from there I played in a rock band and uh, toured around the Midwest. But eventually I actually needed a, a job that would pay. Yeah. So long story short I ended up with a, a good IT company and things are going well now and we love it here in New Braunfels, love Texas. It's a beautiful place. I love it down here. What, what's the na- what was the name of your rock band? Uh, we are first called the Red Lester's, then just the Lester's. And the Red lesters actually came from. We were big fans of Monty Python, mm-hmm. and there's a skit where a guy goes into a cheese shop, in which there's no cheese, and the very first <laughs> cheese he asked for is, "Do you have any Red Leicester?" And that's where we got the name. <laughs> well, there's some people that might connect with that. <laughs> <laughs> there are, were some people who are recognized where we got it from. Well, wow, that's that's something. So
1: you were in a rock band, but let's let's where where did you? Where's your story really start though in
0: your, in your spiritual walk uh, and your spiritual journey? Uh, probably start where I grew up. I grew up in Albany, New York. Um, my, my mom was Episcopalian, my dad was Catholic. And back then an Episcopalian and Catholic marriage, that was frowned upon. And so I remember my mom telling me that, that she had to sign something to be married in the Catholic Church that she would raise the children Catholic. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, of course, I didn't understand any of this thing, but when we got up on Sunday morning to go to church, my mom would never go. It was my dad and he would take the three kids, my older brother and my older sister. And uh, to me, church going was obligatory. Mm -hmm. I didn't get anything out of it. church or christ was rarely mentioned you know monday through saturday and so to me it was just not anything i ever looked forward to back then you had to get dressed up you had to wear a tie yeah you know when you're about eight years old that's not a fun thing to well
1: all can I identify with that raise your hand i mean that was kind of my experience too yep.
0: yeah so like i said there was it, it did it had no impact on me at all um but one morning my father, you know, I got up in the morning, Sunday morning, ready to go to church, and my dad said, Well, we're not going to church. And of course to a little boy that was like, Yes, all <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't have to go to church. And and then he said, And we're never going. Oh. And about a week previous to this, um, I had made my communion two years late, which upset the church. And then I never went and got my confirmation. So a couple of nuns showed up at the house, and I remember this just vaguely. Uh, my Two nuns showed up, I was told to leave the room. I heard a lot of shouting mm. and then a door slamming. Mm. That was the previous week when my dad said, we're never going back. So my dad, really the reason that he said he was never going back was he thought that the church had lost its way Uh, during Vatican II. Uh, He didn't like that Latin wasn't taught anymore. He didn't Hmm. like uh, the folk music that was going on. And that was the reasons he used. But later in life, I realized, I think the main reason was my dad really had no particular faith. Religion was obligatory. And he also struggled with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So getting up on a Sunday morning to go to a church that he didn't really believe in I think he just came to the conclusion, why am I going? Because mm-hmm. I don't believe much of it anyway. Yeah, that's, that's an honest
1: conclusion for some.
0: Yep. Yeah. And so he kept his word. He never went back, other than a couple of weddings we would attend. Did you ever find out what the, what the nuns were saying? I think they were upset that he, he was not bringing his child up as he had promised to be a good Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why was I late for my communion, two years late? You know, why had I not... Signed up to make my confirmation. You know, you're losing your child. It was a conversation like that. And my dad was having none of it and threw him out. Mm. So now you're, you're what, eight, you said? Or was
1: that was about when I was 10. About 10 years old, and you're starting to go into your teenage years. You're not really rooted in anything spiritually. Nope. So what was life like in the, at that
0: period? I think growing up, Religion was just never a part of my life. You know, my my friends, Catholic friends would ask me, you know, why don't you ever go to church? And I go, "Eh, my dad doesn't go, so I don't go. Mm -hmm. So spirituality was like zero part of my life going through through high school. But I think what it did, though, is that as a choice of spirituality as I grew up, Christianity was off the table. Mm Mm-hmm. If my dad rejected it, if he didn't believe it's true, then why should I explore it? Mm -hmm. And so it just never was a part of my life. So I graduated high school and I joined the Air Force. And um, I signed up under Catholic because, you know, that's what I supposedly was, but (laughs) never practiced. And uh, they had me go to a couple of Catholic services and, uh, I got stationed up in Alaska, and I remember they had a, a Catholic priest come in and, and to speak to all the Catholics. So I had signed up Catholic, and uh, that little exchange did not go well because I told him what I thought of the Catholic Church, and he was really upset. Mm. And I just thought the whole thing is a fraud. Uh, I don't believe in any of it, and I basically told him off. Mm-hmm. And so he was not a happy guy after he left. <laughs> no. Not a happy guy. Well, he didn't turn you into your
1: commanding officers, I hope. No. For insubordination. No. You can't have spiritual insubordination, can you?
0: Nope, no. Nope. So again, I, I just rejected it. And then once I got out of the Air Force, um, I got in. That's when I really started getting t- into a rock band. And I really lived a lifestyle of sex, drugs, rock and roll. Uh, There was no limitation on my life. I was living by myself in Minneapolis, and we toured all over the Midwest. Uh, You know, I took occasional temporary jobs once in a while. Um, But I think any person at some point in time knows that there's something missing, that there was zero spirituality in my life. And I think the first intro was I, I met a woman who was into Transcendental Meditation, and i knew very little about it probably what the basic person knew back then the Beatles were into it and you know the maharishi mikesh yogi was instructing them and all that type of stuff and so it was intriguing to me and so i went to my first tm introduction and what they do is they have you sit in a room and you're with one other instructor and they assign you a word or a mantra mm-hmm. and then they say that this word is just for you later i learned out there's only like 16 of them so it's really not just for you
1: <laughs> isn't so, the purpose
0: of that to put your mind and disengage it from everything else somewhere? right right and it's really not important what the word was supposedly it was some word from sanskrit But as I later learned, it didn't really matter what the word was. It was the process of repeating that word over and over and over again in your mind until what she described as there's going to be a time where you're just going to not have a thought. She goes, if you have a thought, have the thought, but return to the mantra. And after a period of time, you'll say the mantra, you have a thought. You say the mantra, and then there's that time period of no thought, and that's what they want you to get to. Mm-hmm. That's where they believe that peace can come. You have to remember that this was a spiritual practice in India, right? but it was being sold in the United States as stress relief, right. as mental health. Mm-hmm. But that is not its purpose. You are not silencing your brain so you can, uh, you know, get your blood pressure down.
1: Somewhat like uh, yoga and Tai Chi from China are imported over here as more like spiritual exercises and disciplines, but the, the background to it, there's
0: a lot much more in the spiritual realm. Later on, I had written an article about why I was opposed to Christian yoga and a instructor in yoga, an indian person wrote to me and said every single thing you said was right hmm. christians should never be practicing our religious practice of yoga hmm. he goes if you think the purpose is rock hard abs you're delusional hmm. that's not what it's for it is to it's a meditative practice so that you can open yourself up to what guidance hmm. from what or who. Hmm. So my experience with transcendental meditation was, I liked it. You know, I, I felt at peace, I, I felt good at it. And so you continue to practice and then they kind of let you go and and you're supposed to do it 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And either lack of discipline or breaking up with that girl. <laughs> I eventually kind of (laughs) fell out of it. But it did open a doorway to me in that there was some spiritual entity of some kind that I lacked. And again, since Christianity wasn't a choice I would ever go to, Mm -hmm. all the Eastern ones were the most attractive. Mm -hmm. So years later, uh, I met a woman... And we eventually married. And she was very much into many different spiritual practices. I, I would say honestly, and I think she would say the same, that this was uh, a form of witchcraft. Now, not the dark witchcraft, the, the almost, a lot of modern witchcraft is really just paganism. Mm-hmm. It's just worshiping yeah, nature. You know, the nature yeah. of some sort. Creation. But so you're,
1: this is not a saved person you're talking about, but
0: she's, Willing, she's willing to call it witchcraft, maybe white
1: witchcraft or something
0: like that white witchcraft right, and of course, the one of the things that we had in common was we had a great deal of disdain for Christianity, and she had relatives that were Christians and they th- thought they were narrow minded judgmental, and so did I so why would I want to join a club of narrow minded judgmental people <laughs> you know it's not a very attractive group, so it's kept I think, a lot of people out of churches, too, by the way. <laughs> well, that, that's true. So we had that kind of bond there, and since she was into this type of spirituality and another friend of mine was doing the same thing, I wanted to follow what they were doing. And one of the things that they both went through was a year-long course where at the end of it you could do uh, psychic readings. And I had no, you know desire to be a psychic reader or, or sit around in front of people and tell them their life story or their future. But, uh, but to me, what they got out of it was a sense of peace and a connection with something. And when you say that you're sitting across from somebody, is it palm reading? Is it crystal ball? I mean, what, what are we... Uh, I'll explain yeah. it as I go. So okay. I got into the course, and one of the first things they teach you is a particular meditative state I won't go through it. It took about six weeks to go through all the steps. And this is a year long course. And essentially what it was doing was grounding you in Earth's energy and also opening up your chakras so that spiritual light guidance power could flow through you. Can you explain what a chakra is? We often hear the term. Yeah, chakras come from uh, Eastern beliefs that there are energy centers throughout the body uh, from the top of your head they call the crown chakra through your mind, your throat, your heart, etc. And they believe by certain practices that you can perform healing by activating those particular mm-hmm. energy centers. okay So we didn't really spend a lot of time on chakras, but they explained it in the manner of something that uh, was really borrowed from an Eastern faith. So the second half of the course, now that you're into the spiritual realm and this type of meditation, they now introduce you to your spirit guides.
1: Hmm.
0: And when you're in this state, you can then communicate with these spirit guides. And you might have five of them to draw upon, you might have a dozen to draw upon, but each of them had their own personality and their own ability. And the, the purpose of this was that when I sat across from a person to do a reading, I would go through my meditative state, and then that spirit guide would speak through me to that person across from me. So really, I was a vessel. Okay, now,
1: the question I think a lot of people are going to have, which I have, is are you totally out of control of your own voice and senses, or...? No. Does your voice
0: change, or it's just the words are given to you? No, there's no change. Um, you know, I'm I'm still there, but I'm in I'm in this spiritual realm and meditative state where I'm allowing those voices to be heard, and I am. Communicating. You're hearing voices in your head. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so, oftentimes after the reading, I would. Not really remember everything that i I said, you know I'm just repeating back things or they would have questions, and my spirit guides would provide this forgive information. me for
1: being naive, but if we were to put headphones on you and play a soundtrack is is that would be the same type of sound experience in your head
0: uh, I'm, y- I'm trying to y- I would just figure out what it's like. It, it's, it's uh, well, it's like in a sense it would be almost like your own self-talk. You know, Charlie, make sure you wash the dishes tonight. Are they recognizable voices? Different, yeah. Oh, different voices, different Yeah, I, you got to know them. Uh, after about six months, I got to know them. And certain ones would show up for different readings for different reasons. Now, the explanation for this was that those spirit guides would be talking to your spirit guides, now I know this is ridiculous, but I'm just trying to explain it. And that's how the information would come about. Now I'll get to why would, why is this happening? What is the purpose for it? So after we're doing these these readings, um, the person would feel very excited about it and appreciative. And they'd call me later and go, you know, you told me some things that actually you know came to fruition and and that gave me so much guidance at a time when i was really struggling so that kind of feedback was like i'm doing good so how could this be evil or how could this be demonic or all those christians you know and, from and all your experience stuff?
1: it was more than coincidence that things were fulfilled and i'll, I'll explain yeah, why okay. in a bit i'm
0: getting i always get ahead of you but you got me anticipated go ahead so um At the same time, you're doing this on a daily basis. And my wife and I, I think, and many in this, are looking for what a lot of people want, um, to manipulate outcomes in your life. I want X, Y, and Z to happen. So can I manifest it through the connection with these spirit guides and using their guidance can I change the direction of my life in a manner that I wish to happen? So really, it's, it's trying to get past uh, what may come in the future mm-hmm. or a way around it or a way of guiding it, manipulating it, and that by following the guides, we should have a better life. Mm-hmm. But we didn't. So after the year-long course, we're both in the same spiritual plane. And our life got worse. Every bit of advice that we took led to disaster. It led to us financial ruin, lost my house, lost my car, filed bankruptcy, and then we got divorced. Spiritual advice from
1: the spirits. Spiritual advice and guidance. So they're not only talking to your subject that you're talking
0: to but they're We're talking just to you to me so here my wife and i are in the same spiritual realm and plane yet things couldn't have been worse and so our whole lives fell apart and so i left that marriage pretty shattered and confused so moved out of the house moved in with a friend and during this time, I was, I was with uh, a, a health food company that sold via network marketing, and I had a few friends in it, and there was a couple of them that were Christians. And unknown to me, they were, um, they were praying for me all the time. And so here I am at the bottom of my life, and they said, you know, would you ever consider coming to our church? You know, just come once. You don't have to stay. Just come once. And I went to that church, and it wasn't the particular church, it could have been any church, but who I met were people that really loved the Lord. This was not religion to them. This was a part of their life. Hmm. Christ was in their lives and they had peace. They didn't have perfection. But I could tell they had this particular piece about their lives that I did not. That's what I got out of going to church, was being surrounded by real believers. Mm -hmm. And it had an impact. Mm -hmm. So then she said, you know, there's this guy that comes to our church for three weekends in a row, and he does uh, an apologetic presentation. And it was a man named Don Byerly, and he wrote a book called Surprised by Faith. And I had challenged Christians over the year over, you know, the Bible's mistranslated, it's garbage, it's made up, it's a bunch of fake stories. And most Christians would never be able to really answer any of those objections. Right. So I went into this <laughs> This seminar, so cocky, <laughs> and thinking, oh, he's uh, he's going to say a bunch of amens and hallelujahs and, uh, and I'm going to be out of there. <laughs> well, none of that happened. He went through the first evening with a bunch of factual information that pretty much destroyed all of my questions and all of my criticism of the Bible the very first night.
1: Oh, yeah. You were probably deluged with information you'd never heard before.
0: Yeah, it it was, I went out of there going, oh boy, that was pretty good. (laughs) That that was pretty impressive. I mean, he really had solid evidence. It wasn't just And if we could just
1: get people who say that the Bible is a book of myths or been written by men or it's been copied so many times, all those things were answered, I'm sure, by your apologists. If we could just get them to hear or listen or think that through. And I always tell people, learn scholars and institutions who have studied the Bible, even though they don't believe it, will never argue that it's a, it's a, it was simply written by men and recopied and everything. Mm-hmm. It's too well attested. Right.
0: Yeah. So I went to the second week and the third week. And by the third week, I was pretty much uh, swayed that uh, my friend that invited me sat in the back of the room and um, just the stories that he told, I think the one um, when uh, the story of Isaac being taken to Golgotha to be sacrificed. And uh, he, the leader, uh, Don Barley, told the story of Abraham in such a way that it just was so compelling to me. What was it like to be Abraham that had to walk, what, 50, 60 miles to a particular place? Why that place? And of course, it wasn't too far away from where Christ suffered on the cross. And I remember sitting there listening to this going, there's no way that's a coincidence. Mm -hmm. That particular place, tying those two stories together, That could not have been written by somebody making up a story because they would have had the forethought to put those events together. And that one really shook me. I think that was the final story that that pushed me over the edge. And I turned to my friend and I said, I think Jesus is Lord. So I remember vividly to this day, I'm walking out to my car And my spirit guide spoke and said, you know, you're not a Christian. You just said a bunch of words and you know, you can't live as one. We know what you're like. You cannot be one. Hmm. And it was the first time my spirit guides got angry. Interesting. They had an attitude about it that kind of got my attention. So... This next little part of my story, I, I don't enjoy telling, but I, t- I'll, I tell it for a particular reason because my behavior was so out of character. In the next two nights, I went and never had done this before. I went and rented porn and got drunk and didn't show up to work Sunday mor- Monday morning, did the same thing Monday evening, didn't show up Tuesday morning, same thing drunk over, hungover, couldn't make it work, and that afternoon, I asked the question, Why am I behaving this way? Why am I acting this way at this time? And I knew it immediately: Why were my spirit guides so opposed to this form of spirituality because They're opposed to Christ. Mm -hmm. And who is opposed to Christ but Satan and the demonic? And the light went on, and I went, oh, so that's who they are. Mm. You never thought about that before. In their effort to persuade me from going to Christ, they had to reveal their identity. They were the demonic. They weren't my friendly spirit guides. And all that moment, all the destruction on my life, all made sense to me. Well, of course I had a destructed life. I'd been guided by the demonic. Satan who's come to rob, steal, and destroy. Right. Yeah. Or however it says it. And so I... I really, I physically fell to my knees and, and wept and cried and I asked for the Lord to forgive me and knew that he was my savior and that I'd been wrong my entire life. I'm not quite getting why with the little experiment with getting drunk and the pornography The temptation was there that I'd never done before. Could I go and get drunk and and get porn? I'd never done it before. Uh I mean, I knew porn. I was in the Air Force. I'd seen porn. But to purposely go and rent it, why? Why at that time? Because Satan was throwing in front of me, "See? see all what you're going to give up? I got you. You're going to give up all those desires that we know that you have because you're not going to be able to behave like this once you're a Christian. Hmm. See, you can't make it as a Christian because look at the way you behave. Mm-hmm. So he's really throwing that in front of me as a way of saying, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't become a Christian. I'm not good enough. I could, never, I could never be the type of people that they want me to be.
1: But isn't it typical of Satan to always speak partial truths because the truth is we can't. Right. live the Christian life. Right. He didn't tell you the rest though, but Christ can right. through us. But you
0: understand my
1: ignorance yeah, at that uh, point in time point, yeah, was sure. still
0: there. And they are attempting me with the old me. Mm-hmm. And, but in order to do it, they had to reveal their identity.
1: So you mentioned getting down on your knees and weeping.
0: What were you saying? Were you talking to God? Yeah, I, I just begged forgiveness for my ignorance, my arrogance, my hostility, uh, the life that I had led, um, that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. That Jesus really was Lord. Mm-hmm. And all those years I, I wasted you know, running away from him when he really truly loved me and wanted me to follow him.
1: When you say, I was wrong, you know, as a theologian, I would say you've changed your mind or you've repented. Yep. You, you've had a moment of repentance mm-hmm. when you change your mind. Yep. And it's not that you're committing. It's not that you're uh, promising to turn from all of these things. It's, it's really assumed yeah. that you're going to go a new direction. But neither does it contain the promises or commitments that some say you have to make in order to be saved. Yeah. It's just faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Right, and the eternal life.
0: And um, there was a feeling of peace. And when I met with Don a couple of days later, of course, he was very excited to hear. <laughs> and he gave me a Bible. And I, I, I will never forget reading John. And I started reading John. And it was like the words were, came alive to me. Mm. I I mean, I was excited mm. and thrilled and teared up reading it going gosh this is the truth this is what i've been looking for mm. and it was just electric to read the bible mm-hmm. It <laughs> I, I, well it still is in, in many ways but that first reading through john was uh so moving and uh, I'll, I'll just never forget that experience. It reminds me of a
1: little phrase in Ephesians 1 I was just reading the other day, the eyes of your heart being enlightened.
0: The eyes of your heart being enlightened. Suddenly you could see what you didn't see. So I want to back track a little bit. And the question I'll always get was, all right, so you're doing these readings for people and they're happy and you're doing good things. How could that be the demonic or why would the demonic do good things? First off, the demonic do not know the future but they do know some things because they are in the spiritual realm i could make a, an analogy like let's say um, you know the uh, someone's put a, a tap on your phone and they're listening to your conversations and so they're able to tell you things that you couldn't believe anyone else would know So the demonic knows some things around you that you yourself don't know. So when I'm doing a reading and I'm revealing these things, it feels like it's a future event to you. The other analogy I use is let's say you go to court and and you're under some decision that needs to be made by the court, but it's going to be 30 days. And so you have to wait 30 days until that decision comes down. But the demonic can know if the decision was made sooner. Let's say the judge decided the next day that you know you didn't have to pay the fine or something. That's not future knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I go to a psychic reader and they tell me you're going to be exonerated. You're not going to have to pay the fine. That's not future knowledge. But when it's revealed to me and then it comes true 30 days later, I'm going, well, that psychic yeah. reader was right. Mm. So then... Who am I going to go to for spiritual guidance going forward? The church or the psychic reader? Mm-hmm. So the reason these demons are doing good things is not to do good things for people. It is to keep them away from Christ. Mm-hmm. So
1: they can do good things and they can be find a certain level of contentment and peace yep. in that so they're not searching for anything else. Sure. It also occurs to me that you know, Satan has been around for a long, long time. He knows human behavior so well. Yes. He can predict which direction we're going to go and predict certain outcomes and makes it look like he does know the future.
0: Right. So that's, that's why I felt at the time, you know, how could this be some, some source of evil if I'm doing such good things? But again, you're in the realm of the demonic all the time. And I believe that what ruined my life is they're the demonic. Their only purpose is to destroy. And so they will use you and destroy you, and they're not going to care. They're not there to make you have a better life. They can't help it. It's, it's like the story of the mouse and the snake. The mouse wants to get across the river. The snake says, I'll give you a ride. Oh, no, no, you you won't give me a ride. You're just going to eat me when I get over the other side. Oh, no, I won't. Of course, he gets over to the side and he attacks the mouse, but wait, 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 I thought you weren't gonna attack me. I'm a snake. That's what I do. <laughs> so I I'm the demonic. That's what I do.
1: Well, after, after you you're, became a Christian, did you feel any special harassment or do you feel like it was they just left you alone?
0: No, they really left me alone. I, I, everyone asked that question mm-hmm. and I didn't come in under any more spiritual attack than any other Christian had. Mm -hmm. I think they had lost the battle. Yeah. You know, I knew who the Lord was and I wasn't going to return. Yeah, if we're I think if
1: we're living right and living with the Lord, they they can't we're impenetrable. We have the armor. Right. We have the armor of the Lord on us. But here's another question though, that sometimes when I talk to people who have dabbled into spiritualism and speaking the spirits and so forth, there are other manifestations besides the voices sometimes physical manifestations, night visits, night, night uh, what do they call night fears, night panics, and items moving around. Did you experience any of that kind of
0: thing? No, nothing like that. Uh, I didn't have any other odd, odd behaviors of any kind. Uh, but I, I, I think it was always hoping and wishing that my life would be different and that the outcomes would be different and they never were. Uh, I think it was just an overall disappointment in life. And when I have, when you have the Lord, of course you want the better job, you want the better husband or wife or whatever, of course you want those things. But I think there's a certain level of peace that if you allow it, allow the Lord to lead your life. And of course that, takes spiritual maturity, and I was immature as a Christian for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you know I struggled with that, but over the years I think I've come to the place where God has proven himself too many times to have taken care of my problems when I do nothing. Right. And that's not easy when you want a certain outcome, but when you submit to the Lord, he will provide the peace. Maybe it's not the outcome you expect. Sometimes it's better. Mm-hmm. But that kind of peace, I don't believe you can really get in any other faith, religion, or discipline. Yeah, Because he's because the Lord of the world. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you mentioned that you were Immature as a Christian at one point, we all were. What was your early religious experience like? Did you immediately join a church or a group or under some influences?
0: Yeah, I I, I joined the same church that I had had become a Christian to. And um, it was, I I gained some very good friends and uh, I had a lot of people that I I think were were fairly good guidance for me. Um, I won't go too far afield here, but I think most of the pastors or people that influenced me were on the Calvinistic side, and I kind of embraced the ideas without understanding the implications of it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, I left that church, went to another church, got to be friends with the pastor there, and I think he had a great deal of influence over my theology. And I spent a lot of time reading theology books for some odd reason. You know, uh, I don't know why anybody would, but, but people but I, actually do sometimes. But I did, and, and I, it was fascinating to me. Um, but when everybody I meet in every church kind of sings the same song, you just assume, well, that's probably the correct interpretation of scripture. Right. Yeah, there's. It's,
1: it's very difficult to independently think and study out things that when you're, you're on a certain track in a certain church, head a certain direction, I hear that all the time um, until your thoughts are challenged. Um, let me ask you this, because you, know, you wrote a book about your life experience, and I really wish that I had read that before and gained some more insight, but um,
0: how is it available today? Maybe tell us the title. It's called Running Against the Wind, and <clears throat> even though it's out of print, uh, people still buy it used on Amazon. So it's, it's still there. Okay. Um, it, was, it was a real um, honor and a privilege to have a bo- your book published. Mm-hmm. And uh, it went all over the world. Gosh, it went out to 23 countries, I was getting emails from South Africa and mm. Holland and Norway, <laughs> all over. People uh, that, that had
1: experience with spiritism was because that was part of the book. I imagine a large part of it.
0: Yeah, I I think they enjoyed the story, and uh, it was it was humbling. Uh, to
1: well, know. I'm going to have to find a used copy, I guess.
0: Yeah, they're they're out there. <laughs> yeah, I know that there's some people in the church that that probably have some. That,
1: um, but you know, you can always. Uh, Kindle has a way of now di- doing digital printing and you can always resubmit it as a digital manuscript. Yeah. Unless, unless it's, the rights are owned by another publishing company if you
0: sold the rights. No, I have the rights back to me. It's, it's something I've thought of, but... Uh, it might be worth it. Perhaps <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. <laughs> how, how have you been
1: able to share the truth that you've discovered in your life about uh, the spirits and gospel and, and things like that? Um, uh, well, Today and what you're doing.
0: Well, today, I, I actually, you know, that topic rarely comes up. It almost seems like such a long time ago. Uh, you know, I wrote that book in 2005. And, uh, you know, it's rare that I even have to share this story anymore. It's just so much in the rearview mirror. But I think um, it has been of value to some people whose relatives, sons, or daughters that are getting involved in this kind of stuff. And so I'm always kind of made myself available to give you some guidance, Uh, you know, how do I deal with my brother or my sister or my kid that's getting involved in this kind of stuff. Well, why
1: don't you spend a minute just saying, there's there's somebody listening who knows people who are dabbling in Spiritism. I meet them um, regularly, Mm -hmm. it seems, throughout my course
0: of my life. How do you deal with someone like that? um i usually tell them to it's it's most of the time it would be a parent that's worried about uh, a child mm. and the first thing i tell the parent and i didn't realize how much this resonated with them i said first off you've done nothing wrong you're not a bad parent you didn't lead your child down the path but you have to understand we're in a world of sin and sin is there and tempts even the child that you brought up in the church can get led away i mean we know the statistics of the children that leave for university and four years later they've disavowed their faith so it's not surprising that they're strayed by the world but my best advice is that the most powerful thing you can do first is pray and continue to engage them. Don't distance yourself from them. But remind them that Christ is the only one that's going to give you the peace that you're looking for. For some reason you've strayed for a reason that you don't you don't seem to be getting the spiritual wealth of the of what Christ can offer. And if you're not getting it, at the church then you're looking to fulfill it elsewhere Mm -hmm. now i'm not going to condemn all the churches but we know that there's a lot of churches who are not engaging with the word and not teaching the word what i found most often in the churches i visited and spoke at is the more seeker sensitive the more Libel that they would be looking elsewhere for spiritual fulfillment. Mm. And I said, when you're going to a church where you're getting educated, what happens not only are you g- gaining confidence that the word is true, but you're also knowing the word so well that you can tell when things are false. Mm-hmm. And the other hard part, as I have to say to them, is that... It may not be you that persuades them back. Mm-hmm. That in many ways, you're going to have, Lord, have to have the Lord reach out to them and bring them back. And maybe it's not going to be next month yeah. or next year. Mm-hmm. But you have to allow the Lord to work in their lives.
1: Yeah, I'd like to go back to your emphasis. You said for them to pray. That's how you came to know the Lord. Yep. And it, it's really more than a cliche, especially after our conversation today, we're in a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And when you pray, you're praying against spirits. You're praying in a spiritual, you're joining in the spiritual battle for someone and for God's purposes. So prayer is more than a, you know, I'm so disappointed sometimes when I go to prayer meeting and there's only six people there at the church of a quite a bit larger church. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where
0: the battle's fought And one, it's in the prayer meeting. And I can say that, you know, how did prayer impact me? You know, here my whole life was falling apart. Did they pray for my life to fall apart? No, they didn't. But I think that prayer was powerful enough that when they invited me to go to church, I said yes. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the power of prayer came in. Mm -hmm. I I remember thinking, maybe I should. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that was where the power came in.
1: Yeah, and I'm guessing also that they had a loving attitude towards you that disarmed you. Oh, very much. Suspicion and- Yeah, and, uh, they were,
0: like again, they were those people that I really enjoyed uh, as people, yet they were what I used to call fundamentalist Christians. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were all in, and, um, but they didn't fit my stereotype very well. Yeah, well, thank, thank God maybe
1: <laughs> yeah. for that. Brian, let's go back to something, because you mentioned that when you, your early Christian experience was heavily influenced by Calvinism. And uh, what influence did that have on your thinking uh, about God and your salvation, and,
0: and then did you change? You know, I, I, I didn't really understand the implications of Calvinism. I don't think I could have explained the tulip, but I knew I wasn't an Arminian. <laughs> and that was, to me, the two choices, and the Arminians, of course, have believed that you, know, you could lose your salvation one week because you sinned and gain it back the next week because you repented, and you're constantly going back and forth. So I embraced the idea from all my friends and theologians that, you know, that uh, God was sovereign and that he chose me in eternity past, that I was predetermined to be saved. And so I just kind of embraced the idea of it, um, and I was never particularly challenged on that that view very often. Because the Calvinist view was so pervasive,
1: that's the only one you heard. Yeah. And it I, still is today, very pervasive.
0: Yeah, and like I said, the only other opposing view was, was Arminianism, and I knew I didn't believe that, and then, you know, occasionally I would hear about these that fringe group called these grace believers, <laughs> uh, but I never understood what they were or what they believed, uh, and that in, is until I came to church in, in New Braunfels Bible Church, and I had uh, spent the previous year before I moved to Minneapolis uh, was at John Piper's church, <laughs> and. You know, when you, get, when you go to John Piper's church, the first thing is that you notice he's a great expositor. Yeah. Whatever are the feelings you have about him, he is a wonderful, engaging speaker mm-hmm. that dives into the depth of Scripture each week, which is what I really enjoyed. And, um, but you don't necessarily get the deep Calvinism points of view all the time from the pulpit it's reading his books. And so I was reading his books and really getting engaged with with that type of belief system. But I I think, I don't know if I was that aware of it, but you can't help but leave yourself with some doubts about are you really saved? I mean, really, Uh really saved? because you know your behavior doesn't sound like you're really, really mm-hmm. saved. I don't think I realized that I was dealing with a certain level of self-doubt, but I didn't know the source of that. Mm-hmm. I just accepted that. And so I come to New Braunfels Bible Church and meet Pastor Phil. And Pastor and Phil Congdon, yeah. Phil, Phil Congdon. And he introduced me to grace. And we started going to, I I started going to these grace groups. We would pick a book uh, explaining grace or refuting Calvinism. And as a small group of men, we'd meet every Tuesday morning. And those books really swayed me. It's not that it was swayed away from Calvinism. I was persuaded by grace. Mm -hmm. and I think the most telling part of of understanding and appreciating grace is when you read the Bible through those lenses you don't have to fix every line you don't have to say or input the word elect Mm -hmm. in every place Mm -hmm. you know to me the Calvinism would be much more credible if they added the word elect about 50 times.
1: Yeah, like God so loved the world of the elect that he gave his own. <laughs> exactly, I was <laughs> just about that's to what say. That's say, yeah.
0: And everything falls into place that those challenges in life are not that you're no longer saved or you never were saved, you've fallen out of fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. If you go down a sinful path, That doesn't mean you've lost your salvation or you were never saved. You've strayed from what the Lord wants you to be and do. And I will tell you, what a relief Mm -hmm. it is. And instead of the criticism, antinomianism, it just leads to lawlessness. It doesn't, though. In other words, well, now you can do anything you want. Is that right? You Grace guys, it just allows you to sin all the time. Well, I don't know, I always like to say, well, has there been a study done between Calvinists, Arminius and Grace who sins the most?
1: (laughs) You know, can you cite Uh, that
0: study for me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the track record on both sides is about equal. Yeah, exactly,
0: because we're all fallen, but I, as a believer in Grace, have the confidence of knowing I haven't lost my salvation but I have strayed with, in my relationship with the Lord. And it has made me more appreciative of what the Lord has done, because I'm, I'm no longer resisting sin as a... Way to prove your a Way to prove salvation. it. It's now because I want to
1: instead of a way of proving salvation, a way of pleasing God.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I'd rather, I want to please God. I don't want to sin, not out of obligation or punishment, but because He loves me, and I don't want to fall out of fellowship with the Lord who loves me so much. Amen.
1: Well, the doubts that you mentioned in the Calvinistic system is just part of the system. They say it's good to doubt, but I don't see how a person can live the Christian life confidently and grow in their relationship with God if they're constantly doubting whether God has even chosen them, it just doesn't make
0: sense. Yeah, and some of the, the readings uh, or letters that uh, ba- Bethlehem Baptist yeah. Church leader, Piper, uh, yeah. Uh, he would get letters from people who had great doubts about whether they're saved or not. And I'm thinking, oh, you poor thing. He's not going to answer you very well. No. And he doesn't, because he doesn't have the confidence himself to say, are you a believer? Yes, then you're saved. But these people are struggling whether they really are believers, whether they're going to have eternal life, and Piper doesn't help. Sometimes his response is like, oh, you poor thing. That was the answer he gave you, was his confusing, meandering answer in that, Yeah, you know, your behavior, you may not be saved. Yeah.
1: And I think I I heard him recently say to someone in answering a question, i listening to him somewhere, and he was saying, well, sometimes when I look at my marriage, I wonder about myself. He said something to that effect.
0: Right, right. Well, he took a year off because he felt that he had not honored his wife. And so he took off a a year from preaching as a penance, Mm -hmm. almost to me. Penance, yeah.
1: Well, well, we're glad you came to the truth. And as I say, grace always puts a big smile on your heart, and we see that you're liberated. It's been nice talking with you today, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Brian's story just reminds us uh, that Jesus Christ uh, is the truth and the life and the way to God the Father. And it's not a religious system we're talking about, but a person who came as God in the flesh and died on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and uh, we're all sinners and we all need to be saved. And when Jesus rose from the dead, that was a way of saying, uh, I have something for you. I have eternal life. If you simply ask me for it, or that's what faith is, coming to him by faith with an empty hand and receiving it. And that's what grace is, a free gift. Just saying, Lord, please save me. Give me the gift of eternal life. And he'll do that to anybody who asks. No special prayers, and no special rituals, no hoops to jump through, no promises to make or keep. Uh, and that will change your heart as it did Brian, as it did mine, and so many other people. So we trust that that will be your decision today. You can get more information about uh, Grace Life Ministries at gracelife.org. We would really appreciate it if you subscribe to this podcast or, and or like it or leave a comment because that allows it to get more visibility and more people will hear this message. And they need to hear stories like Brian's. So thanks for listening. Until all here.